Hello everyone, I'm Cressida Cowell, author of How to Train Your Dragon, and I'm just popping in to tell you about my new book series, Which Way to Anywhere. It's a story about four children who discover that there are alternative worlds beyond our own, and that they can travel to them with the help of a magical map and a very special gift. Of course, this leads to epic, unexpected adventures. Which Way to Anywhere and its sequel, Which Way Round the Galaxy, are both available to buy now. Happy reading. Hello, welcome along. Not sure about you, I think life's getting a bit strange down here on Earth, a little bit boring. So let's jump in the podcast rocket and discover some secrets across the universe. My name's Dan. Hello, this is our Fun Kids Science Weekly. Thank you so much for being there. Every week, you and me, we come together to search out some Real strange science secrets lurking through the solar system. Stuff about aliens, about animals, about planets, about galaxies, about some really deadly things too. Now this week, very special guest, a friend of the show, he's been on before, we're chatting to Radzi Chinyangana. You might know Radzi from presenting Blue Peter. He also does loads more science TV stuff. And he's got a brand new book out. It's called Radzi's Incredible Facts. It is stuffed full of amazing things. And we'll even have a fact off. Each neuron, if you like, is connected to other neurons. And if you would imagine a tic-tac shape, roughly, and you maybe put about seven lines coming off that tic-tac, or each of those seven lines is connected to another neuron. And we have, in terms of connectors, as many as one quadrillion connectors. So just in case you're thinking, what sort of a number is that? So a thousand is one with three zeros. A billion is one with nine zeros. A trillion is one with 12 zeros. A quadrillion is one with 15 zeros after it. That's how many we have in our brain. Also, we'll take a trip to the smartest school in the solar system, Deep Space High, to see what you can do in space when you're older, if you love maths. Why don't you tell us, Aurora, what it is about maths that you enjoy? It's solving puzzles, isn't it? Like that test we had last week where we had to work out how many gargantua gigaberries you could fit into a black hole. And I've got your questions to answer, as always. Love doing it. This week, it's on what your stomach does with food and about the end of the world. It's all on the way in a brand new Fun Kids Science Weekly. Let's kick this week off with your science in the news. Now, almost half the world's known flowering plants are at risk of extinction. Scientists say species like orchids and some pineapple plants and loads more maybe couldn't be around for much longer. And these are the ones that flower to make more plants. A study by the Royal Botanic Gardens in Kew looked at research by 200 scientists in 30 countries and they found that loads of plants need to be saved. This is so important because plants feed the animals who feed loads of humans. Even if you're a vegetarian, I mean, having plants is still really important, right? You need to eat something, and the plants are pollinated by the bees, and it's just there's so much going on, and it's all to do with warming temperatures and pollinating creatures dying out. They're all contributing to the loss of these very vital plants. 
Also, here's an amazing story. The UK government have handed its first ever fine to a company for leaving rubbish in space. They fined a company called The Dish Network £125,000 for failing to move an old satellite far enough away from other satellites that are up there. Now, companies who put things into space, like satellites, they agree to rules about where they can leave it, when it's not in use anymore, what they do with it, and, well, the UK government says this company isn't playing by the rules. So they find them because what can happen to satellites up there? Uh, if, if they're broken, if they're not in use anymore, they could get in the way. They could even collide with satellites that do an important job here on Earth. And finally this week, uh, this is amazing. A former Royal Marine is hoping to break a world record by travelling across Antarctica on his own. Sam Cox will ski and drag a sled across Antarctica over two months, where it will be around minus 20 degrees. He's expecting to travel more than 1,200 miles to go 310 miles further than the current solo crossing record. So he's doing it all himself. No one's next to him. He's got to carry the food on his back. He is going an awful long way on a very cold place right near the South Pole. So best of luck, Sam Cox. Let's catch up with Techno Mum then. One of our favourite geniuses on the show. She is an expert on everything technology, on all the gadgets, and she loves to answer your questions. It's her and her son, Tim. Uh, This week, we're thinking about tunes, right? Because Tim loves listening to music all the time and has loads of old school CDs. Uh, But Mum says there's a much better way to listen to music digitally. Techno Mum, with the Institution of Engineering and Technology. Advancing and sharing technology. I love music. I've got stacks of CDs. Serve Mum and Dad. But last week, Mum was packing up loads of her CDs in some boxes to go in the loft. What was that all about? So, have you gone off... Who's this? Michael Bubble? Michael Bublé. No, still very much a fan. It's all part of the clear-out. I have all these albums on my MP3 player now, so these can all go away. In fact, give us a hand. If I go up the ladder... You can hand that box up to me. OK. I quite like having a nose around the loft anyway. Wow, what's all that lot? Mum was stacking the CDs in a trunk with some of those really old records. As big as dinner plates. Mum had loads of them. And there were some weird plastic rectangly things too. What are they, Mum? They're cassette tapes. And my old LPs too. It's how we bought music before CDs were invented. They just take up so much space. I'm going to get these converted to MP3 too. But I'll need to get someone else to do that as we don't have a turntable or cassette player anymore. I've just realised, you've probably never seen either of those in your life, have you? (laughs) Nope. But it's cool you can get all this old music on your MP3 player. Um, how is it possible to squash it all in? Those CDs, LPs and cassettes took up loads of space. Mum's MP3 player was tiny, the size of a biscuit. It must be like Doctor Who's TARDIS, or a wormhole to another dimension. You're right, it's a squash. In fact, it's done by compression. And that's another word for squashing, isn't it? Talking of squashes, let's get back downstairs. It's getting rather hot and sticky up here. So, you play your original CD, or record, or cassette into the computer. 
As music is playing, a piece of software that makes MP3s takes samples of the music and converts them into digital sound. Thousands of samples are taken every second. Generally speaking, it works out which bits of sound are too high or too low to be noticed by us and throws them out. This means what's left is a lot less than you started with. But what if it throws away your favourite song on the album? You're not thinking small enough. It isn't chucking out giant chunks. It's more like when I'm weeding the garden. I throw away lots of little bits as I go along, but these are bits that we didn't really need anyway. Hey Mum, weeds have rights too. Some of them are pretty cool. You get wildflowers and all sorts. Fair point, Tim. And some people don't like the idea of losing any audio at all. In fact, it's called a lossy way of doing it because you can't get those bits back. But most people won't notice the bits that are gone. That's right. And even if it doesn't sound quite the same as the original recording, the big benefit is once it's an MP3 file, I can play it on my computer, stick it on my MP3 player, pop it on a memory stick and even move it to my mobile phone. It's a dead handy way to package my tracks and carry them about. And a lot lighter. What's in this box? That's your dad's old pop CDs. If he wants to convert those, he'll have to do them himself. Steps. Greatest hits. Better best forgotten. Trust me on that one. Techno Mum. With the Institution of Engineering and Technology. Advancing and sharing technology. Let's answer your questions then. This is my favourite part of the show. I'll admit it. I'm honest. I love doing the digging for all the science questions that you have. Anything that's burning in your brain that you need to know about all sorts of science, you can ask me. Just get to the free Fun Kids app, open it up, click record a message, and then it will come straight through to me in the studio in podcast world, and I can answer it for you. First one this week is from Casey. Hi, my name is Casey. I am five years old and I want to know how does my stomach digest food? So how does your stomach digest food, Casey? Well, it needs to start in your mouth, actually. Because well before food reaches your stomach, it goes in your mouth, doesn't it? And you start chewing and that makes saliva, it makes spit. As your teeth are tearing and chopping the food, the spit moistens it, it breaks it up. There's an enzyme in there called amylase, which starts to break down some of the important bits of your food before it even gets to your belly. And then it travels down your throat through the esophagus, and then it's kind of churned up in there too. And then it reaches your stomach, which acts a bit like a washing machine. It's churning it up, it's got loads of acids in there, loads of digestive juices which have got enzymes and they break up your food into much smaller pieces and it keeps going and going round and all those enzymes and the acids, it turns the food into a thick liquid that travels down your small intestine where there are loads of little things there called uh, velis. Uh, These absorb the good stuff. They suck in the nutrient from your food. They put it into the bloodstream and then when you're done with it, well, well, then you get waste, and it, and it leaves your body. Yeah, in, in, that, in that rather disgusting way. So, you know, your stomach does the digestion, but it all starts in your mouth as soon as you start chewing, Casey. Thank you so much for the question. Let's get another one on from Finley. What would happen if the sun crashes into the earth? All right, Finley, what would happen if the sun crashed into the earth? Well, on a very simple level, uh, it, it wouldn't be good 
if the sun somehow managed to crash into Earth, I'd, I, it wouldn't really happen like a big crash, but we would be vaporised very quickly. We would be burnt up as soon as it got anywhere near us. The sun is about 109 times wider than the Earth. It is huge. Imagine it like a plane driving straight into a car. Imagine what would happen to that car. Yeah, it's similar for the Earth. But that, So that's not really going to happen like that. They're not going to crash into each other. But what scientists think will happen is that in time the sun will expand and expand and expand and it will get so big that it sucks in everything around it and this will happen they think in about five billion years where the sun will get so big it just absorbs the earth if you have any science questions that you want answered make sure you get out your phone or tablet open up the free fun kids app click record a message and then it'll come straight through to me so i can do the digging for you next week Hello everyone, I'm Cressida Cowell, author of How to Train Your Dragon, and I'm just popping in to tell you about my new book series, Which Way to Anywhere. It's a story about four children who discover that there are alternative worlds beyond our own, and that they can travel to them with the help of a magical map and a very special gift. Of course, this leads to epic, unexpected adventures. Which Way to Anywhere and its sequel, Which Way Round the Galaxy, are both available to buy now. Happy reading. It's the Fun Kids Science Weekly, and one of our favourites is back on the show. Radzi Chinyangana is back with a brand new book as well. It's called Radzi's Incredible Facts. Uh, I love books, I love facts, and I love Radzi. So thank you so much for being there. Mate, it's great to be back. How are you? I am exceedingly well, and I'm like ready to dive into a book full of facts. It makes me think that it's a big world and a huge universe with a lot of facts in it. How did you possibly start trying to get some together to stick in a book? So first of all, it was kind of a big challenge, but also it wasn't because I personally love facts. And I always say to people, by the way, have you heard about this? Or you'll never guess what. And so that's very much been at the core of my being for many, 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 many years. But the reason for the book in the first place is that in my job, I'm lucky enough to meet really interesting people, whether they're radio DJs like yourself, whether they're people that might be actors or movie stars or singers or sports people, authors, whoever. And one thing that makes them interesting is they know an awful lot about what they're talking about. Well, as young people, you can't be an expert in something because you haven't lived long enough to be an expert. But actually, when we think about who the cleverest person is in our class, we usually think of the person who's the best at maths or the best at science, but they know a lot about a little, that little being that one school subject. But in life, when we meet people, we can talk about anything. So the idea is actually to look clever, to look the cleverest person in the school of life is to know a little about a lot. So no matter what anyone says to you, you can go, funnily enough, when you mentioned space there, did you know that? And therefore, you look fascinating. So it's almost a cheat code book as to looking clever to anybody you talk about. That's a really brilliant thing to say, because uh, I know me and you and I imagine so many people are more like Petri dishes, aren't we? We've got like a a little bit of knowledge (laughs) that spreads a long way rather than these test tube of the experts who who are scientists or mathematicians, as you say. And it's... So you've got this idea for the book. Yes. But where do you, like, what's the machine, what's the system for figuring out where you're going to find the facts, which ones you're going to put in? Because you're casting quite a wide net out there. 
So let's use the Petri dish test tube metaphor and let's continue that because that's all about science. So how would you approach something scientifically? Well, it would probably have a method. And so what's the method? My method is I want to cover as many subjects that I bump, when I bump into people, it gets brought up or I watch the news, it gets brought up. So if I watch a film, ah, science fiction, what could that come under? Ah, maybe space, put space down. Okay. That goes into my, into my little notes. I speak to somebody who says the weather's great, isn't it? Oh, weather, weather, geography. Okay, that can go under geography. And as I was speaking to people, I was trying to check off as many subjects as I could. And if I speak to somebody about football, I'm not going to do something on football, but I might do something on sports or history. I thought, hmm, I wonder if we did change it to maybe famous people or maybe history as well. And so it was that process of working out, first of all, what will my Petri dish include? And once I'd gotten that, well, then it was the fun bit because I get to basically look up the most random of information. So you mentioned that you had a lot of fun looking up these facts, but what was the most joyous path for you to look down when you were searching for amazing things? I suppose. So I was writing this for, so we, I think anyone between the age of possibly, dare I say six or seven to maybe 11 would get something out of this. But I imagine 10 year old Radzi, that's who I'm speaking to a lot when I'm doing this. And I think what would 10 year old Radzi like here? And I think it's a mixture of a fact that makes young people go like the poo. And then also a mixture of facts that actually are truly fascinating. So for example, in our brain, we have a thing called neurons and neurons is how we, how we store information. It's how we understand the world. And the reason we have to store information is I see you and I say, ah, this is Fun Kids Radio. And then it sets off a chain of, ah, I've been on Fun Kids Radio before and I listen to Fun Kids Radio and it's amazing. And I like the songs that go on there. So that's how we store information. But each neuron, if you like, is connected to other neurons. And if you would imagine a tic-tac shape, roughly, and you maybe put about seven lines coming off that tic-tac, or each of those seven lines is connected to another neuron. And another line is connected to another neuron. And so they're all interconnected. And we have, in terms of connectors, as many as one quadrillion connectors. So just in case you're thinking, what sort of a number is that? So a thousand is one with three zeros. A billion is one with nine zeros. A trillion is one with 12 zeros. A quadrillion is one with 15 zeros after it. That's how many we have in our brain. So things like that, where I think, well, it's sort of, I would possibly say the word ironic or serendipitous, slightly big words, which basically means that in order for me to look up facts, I have to use my brain. And I'm finding out about how amazing all of our brains are. In so doing, I'm able to store the fact myself using those neurons. So it's almost like I'm paying homage to the very reason that I like facts. And so it was looking and hoping that as well as it might, they might be shocking facts or amazing facts, that it also might help the reader to understand a bit about the world around them, whether that is the Egyptian civilization in ancient Egypt, whether that is about a sports person, whether that is about the tallest person who's ever lived. And so hopefully it's a fun way of learning that doesn't feel like you're in the back of your class going. Do you want a quick fact off? 
Oh, yeah, let's do it. Absolutely. I don't know how many sweet science facts you can call to the start of your brain, but let's try it out with a few. How about this for the greatest fact in the history of the world? Oh, mate, I love this already. So we know that a million is a big number and a billion is an even bigger number. You just ran through it there with the amount of zeros. And when we think of people with a lot of money, we think, well, a millionaire's got a lot and a billionaire's got a bit more. But just the difference between the two, I promise, I promise will make your jaw drop. So, Radzi, if I gave you a pound every second of the day... It would take you 11 days to save up a million pounds. Yes. To get a billion pounds, you would need to save a pound every second of the day for over 30 years. It's just, it's amazing. It's amazing. The difference between the two, right? Yeah. So what that compares to for me is a lot of people now are going in cold water. Some people call them ice baths. There was an amazing man called Wim Hof, who's called the Iceman. And he's the person who really put that on the map and really showed people the benefits of doing so. People thought he was mad about 15 years ago. And then people just thought he was incredible when he proved with science all of the things that he was saying. So when people get into these ice baths, cold water coming out of your tap varies, whether it's the summer or winter. But if it's the winter, it's about 10 degrees is how cold it is. Now, you can get an ice bath to go below zero, believe it or not. But the key way of looking at cold isn't how cold it feels, because people might say that's four degrees. But if we did five degrees and you had 10 degrees, we'd say mine is twice as cold. So two degrees will be twice as cold again. And the reason I say that is numbers are beautiful things. Some people would call them a philosophy. They are amazing. And it's when you put it into the context that you just put it in there, that it changes everything. And a simple way of kind of explaining what you did would be to say, well, the difference between a million seconds and a billion seconds, one is 11 days, one is over 30 years. And that just boggles the mind. You think, what? It should only be about 22 days, surely. (laughs) But yeah. And I'll tell you the amazing thing is some of us are going to get to live to a billion seconds. And I think we should have a special birthday and it's called the Billy birthday (laughs) when we get to over 30 years. And it's a massive cake, the biggest cake anyone has ever seen. And we get to choose it and our school pays for it. And we go back to school, even though we're in our 30s, and all of our friends will be there and we get to mess around for the day. That's what I think should happen. Right. I agree. I absolutely agree. A Billy birthday. Uh, So that's two facts done in our fact off. How about this? There was once an astronaut, because we're talking about astronauts, there was once an astronaut called Scott Kelly. He spent some time up in space. Yes. When he landed, he was two inches taller than his identical twin brother. What? When he landed? Yeah, when he came back from space. That's amazing. Yes, that makes sense. Yeah, so he he went up in space in the mid-1990s, almost 30 years ago. Uh, He was there for a little while, not too long though, but when he came back, he was two inches taller than his brother because the gravity is less when it's up in space, so it stretched his spine out. Yeah, well, so much so that if you attempt to break a world record in terms of being the tallest or shortest person in the world... 
they will actually measure you at different times in the day because you're taller when you wake up out of bed because just like being in space although gravity hasn't changed the effect of gravity has changed because you're lying flat horizontally so gravity will be acting almost to make you flatter so then when you stand up you'll be slightly taller Whereas throughout the day, gravity has been acting on your skeleton and slowly pulling you down. Not by much, but enough that it could be maybe half an inch, which could be the difference between being a world record breaker or not. And I'll, I'll tell you one thing as well. So it's not so much a fact, but one sometimes people say to me, who's the coolest person you've met? Who's the most famous person you've met? And possibly the man who isn't the coolest or the most famous, but somebody that he just left a memory on me that I will never forget is an astronaut called Professor Chris Hadfield. And he's a Canadian um, astronaut. And I'm sure you'll be able to relate to this, Dan. So if you ever do a pre-recorded interview, what they might say at the end for TV is, we just had a couple of what we call pickups, which means that, for example, you may have stuttered over a word, or I may have stuttered over a word, or there was a plane flying overhead, or a bird made a noise. There could be so many reasons why they're going to say, could you just repeat the words? And that's why it's so important to me, because that's what you said. And you would say, yep, sure. So that's why it's so important to me. Now, normally you might do, it could be three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 pickups, depending on how long the interview is. Our interview finished and he said, um, how was that for you? Our director said, can we do a couple of pickups? And without any instruction, he proceeded to do all of his own pickups, which were where every single sound issue was. And then he said, it's those 1922 pipes. And I thought that was a strange thing to say. We were in the Royal Observatory in Edinburgh, where they have this giant, giant, giant telescope that allows you to see the moon and planets in the most amazing detail from one of the best telescopes in the world. And as I walked down and left the Royal Observatory afterwards, I saw a plaque and it said, this building was made in 1922. And it was then that I realised that the reason astronauts are so good is their brains are special. They've worked their brains in a special way. That means they constantly retain and hold on to information. Those That quadrillion of neuron connectors, they're using way more of them than my brain does because they like... Uh, you mentioned De Bruyne, who practices lots and lots at football. He practices lots and lots at using his brain. And so Chris Hadfield, an astronaut, I think are the most amazing people ever. You can learn so much more about all forms of facts from all around the world and out of this planet too. The new book is Radzi's Incredible Facts. Uh, Radzi Chinyangana, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Let's get this week's Dangerous Dan then, where we look at some of the most weird, mean, strange, unique and deadly things in the universe. This week, we are headed towards Asia and diving under the ocean. Let's look at the beaked sea snake then. It's found off the coast of India, Australia and Africa, and it's a brilliant blue colour with black stripes running around it, this snaky, snaky, slithery monster. It lives in the ocean, it can dive up to 100 metres deep and even stay down there for up to five hours while it's hunting fish. Now, it's not an aggressive feature, 
and it'll only bite when it's threatened or provoked, but wow. Wow, wow, wow. When it strikes, this animal strikes. Its bite is eight times more toxic than a cobra. Get this, a full dose of its venom, it's so deadly, it can kill 22 people. The toxins attack the muscles of the body, causing an excruciating pain. And then if that's not treated, quickly things go very, very badly. Now the problem is, they're so deep that normally they wouldn't interact much with humans, but they get caught up in fishermen's nets, and accidentally, occasionally, they end up poisoning humans that get too close. The fishermen that try to lift it out of their net and just chuck it back home. It's such a sad story for them. But it's also mean and deadly, which means the beat sea snake goes straight onto our danger stand list. Let's finish off our adventure across the universe this week with a quick trip to the smartest school in the solar system. So we'll stay up there for Deep Space High. This is for our Space for All series. For the last few weeks, we've been looking at different jobs and careers you can have in space. Um, Because there is so much you can do in space exploration and hardly any of it is being an astronaut. A lot of it is, is doing other stuff. And this week, we're catching up with the gang, with Professor Pulsar and everyone, to find out what you can do in space if you love maths. Deep Space High, space for all. Jump into your and travel to Deep Space High, the school in space. But hurry, because lessons are about to begin. Hi Quark, are you ready for the match later? Find your boots in the end? (laughs) That must be a relief. Bit hard to shoot a goal in the Galactic Junior League final when you're missing four of your six football boots. (laughs) (laughs) I wish I was good at stuff like you. I just know I'm going to end up back on Earth when I'm older working in a boring job. Whilst you're holding the Galaxy Cup, I can just see it now. Come on Sam, everyone's good at something and there's a place in space for all. Who'd like to show Sam how their interests at school can lead to a job in space? Well, you'll think I'm nuts, but I like maths. (laughs) Yep, you're nuts all right, Aurora. Maths is complicated equations and difficult sums. Seriously, who does maths for fun? Why don't you tell us, Aurora, what it is about maths that you enjoy? It's solving puzzles, isn't it? Like that test we had last week where we had to work out how many gargantua gigaberries you could fit into a black hole. It doesn't feel like work at all. It's like a game. Football's a game. Maths is literally nothing like a game. I said you were nuts. That's enough, Sam. Aurora, you're right. Maths is all about puzzles and patterns. Puzzle solvers are of vital importance in space, even before things have got off the ground. Computer sim, Kennedy Space Centre in Florida, please. Oh, cool. That's the SpaceX Dragon. Looks like they're... Loading it for a journey to the space station, right? That's right. It's an unmanned spacecraft that, like its Russian counterparts, carries supplies to the station. Mathematicians have to work out how much fuel is needed for the flight, as well as the exact quantities of supplies that are needed to keep the crew going until the next spacecraft arrives. Things like food and clothes, as well as soap and water. Sounds like my mum before we go camping. She works out what we need, right down to the last sheet of toilet roll. (laughs) Mathematicians are also behind planning of the route for each flight. Three, two, one, we have it all. 
they will have worked hard to plan the exact route to reach the destination, as it's not just a case of going from A to B. You might need a helpful gravitational slingshot around the moon to adjust speed and direction. And maths can help us understand the universe itself. Computer sim, Jodrell Bank Observatory, please. Which is near Macclesfield in the north of England, for those who don't know. Hey, that's near where I come from. They're like gigantic space telescopes. So cool. These giant telescopes receive data and images from the farthest parts of the observable universe. With the help of mathematicians, we can unravel the information and work out what distant planets and stars are like. How hot or cold they are, what the atmosphere is made of. Sounds like magic. Unlocking secrets, breaking the codes. All thanks to mathematical models that power other types of science, such as physics. By understanding the rules and patterns, we can better understand our place in the galaxy and beyond. Sounds great, I guess, but... Not for me. Not a fan of puzzles then, Sam. The only thing puzzling me is how Quark managed to lose four boots. One boot, fair enough. But four, that takes up a lot of space. (laughs) Never mind, Sam. There's an almost infinite number of jobs in space, and I'm sure we will find one for you. Well, if Quark can lose his football boots, I suppose anything is possible. Except you lot leaving the room quietly. Class dismissed. Deep Space High, space for all. With support from the UK Space Agency. Find out more at funkidslive.com slash space. This week's Fun Kids Science Weekly. Thank you so much for listening. If you have anything sciencey that you want answered on the show next week, make sure you leave it as a voice note for me on the free Fun Kids app or at funkidslive.com. You can hear loads more brilliant podcasts that we make on Google, Apple, Spotify, and on the Fun Kids app too. And Fun Kids are our children's radio station from the UK. You can listen to us in some cities on your DAB digital radio. We're on the free Fun Kids app and ask your smart speaker to play Fun Kids. Hello everyone, I'm Cressida Cowell, author of How to Train Your Dragon, and I'm just popping in to tell you about my new book series, Which Way to Anywhere. It's a story about four children who discover that there are alternative worlds beyond our own, and that they can travel to them with the help of a magical map and a very special gift. Of course, this leads to epic, unexpected adventures. Which Way to Anywhere and its sequel, Which Way Round the Galaxy, are both available to buy now. Happy reading!